When it comes to travel companions, compatibility is everything. There's some people you just vibe with when you travel. You're on the same page. You're on the same itinerary. You're always down for an adventure. You're down to go off the grid, off the script, and kind of just go with the flow. That was Adam Posner, founder and president of NHP Talent Group and host of the popular podcast, The Poscast. Adam is also a husband and a father. And when he's not juggling the many commitments of work and home, you can find him wandering the streets of Berlin or enjoying pizza with the locals in Naples. That's right, Adam loves to travel. Recently, we sat down to discuss what travel means to him, some of his most memorable traveling experiences, and some very helpful travel tips. Please fasten your seatbelts and return your seats to their upright positions. We are now beginning our final approach to The Ginny Show. Whether it's trying new kinds of food, venturing out to obscure or untouched areas, experiencing different types of architecture or indulging in popular tourist activities, those of us who love travel hold certain experiences above others. We all have reasons that have inspired us to travel, and whatever those reasons are, they dictate the way we experience new countries and cultures. Some people like to travel alone and do what they want, when they want, without the constraints of having to appease their travel buddies. Some of us are the opposite, and we like to travel in big groups. If this is the case, how important is compatibility when traveling with others? And why is it so important? There's some people you just vibe with when you travel, you're on the same page, you're on the same itinerary, you're always down for an adventure, you're down to go off the grid, off the script, and kind of just go with the flow. And for us, that is my my sister-in-law, my wife's sister, Michelle, and her husband, Graham. Michelle specifically and I, we are very simpatico compatible. We love to plan the actual trip together. We map it out, we figure out what we're doing, and we also leave a lot of open room for adventure. We like to have a framework because you don't want to be scrambling and you want to have a plan when you're doing, especially when you're going somewhere like Iceland. As you just heard, Adam recently ventured to Iceland with his wife, her sister Michelle, and Michelle's husband Graham, and they had the experience of a lifetime. As it's not as mainstream as your typical travel destinations like Italy, Spain, or Portugal, I wondered what it was exactly about Iceland that attracted them. We've been to Portugal, we've been all around. So when it came time for Iceland, it was a trip that we've always talked about going on. And it's always been at the top of my list because everything I hear about Iceland is incredible. Europe is amazing, it's beautiful, there's lots of great cities. But what I like to say, Europe is lots of old shit, right? You look at lots of old cathedral, church, cathedral, church, good food. I mean, that's Europe for us, right? Nice hotel, you Mm -hmm. see some, you know, you see the monuments, you see all that kind of stuff. But Iceland, Iceland is the closest you'll ever get to being on another planet while still being on earth it is vast openness it is green it is white it is colors it is dark it is grays shades of gray that you never even imagined it makes gray a beautiful shade never thought about gray until you see gray in context 
and in format and in contrast. Well, of course, it always helps when you don't have to take a 20-hour flight, six-hour bus ride, and two-hour boat journey to reach your final destination. It's a five-hour flight, literally. The weird part about it is when you travel to most of Europe, you take the night flight from the States, you get in, and it's first thing in the morning. However, the time difference is only a couple of hours, so when you take a 10 o'clock flight and you land at literally 2 o'clock in the morning, you're like, shoot, uh, it's not really much of a time difference. I'm here in the middle of the night. Now what am I going to do? So after you've picked the destination and carefully selected your travel companions, what's next? Are you someone who carefully plans out every other activity, making sure you account for every second you spend in a place? Or do you prefer winging it? Does one allow for a more enjoyable experience than the other? Hmm. I guess that all depends on who we fundamentally are as people. We decided to do Iceland the right way. And the right way was a pro tip from one of our friends who's been there a number of times. And he said, listen, you're going to get in the middle of the night. You have a couple of options. You could go right, right into Reykjavik and you could get into your Airbnb and crash and start the next morning and do Reykjavik and use that as your launching point for the rest of the trip. Or you could do a pro move and go right to the Blue Lagoon, which for any tourists out there, it's a must do once. It's super cool. You don't have to do it more than once. You go there once. It's pretty cool. Fun fact, the Blue Lagoon is man-made. A man-made lagoon, you say? Do tell me more. The Blue Lagoon is the byproduct, the hot water of the thermo hydroelectric power plant. So they didn't know what to do with all this warm water. And it kind of started to flow over the rocks when they first opened the power plant. And they're like, that looks kind of cool. What else can we do with it? It's clean water. It's 100% clean. It's hot. So now it's a thermal spring. So the Blue Lagoon is actually fueled by the hydroelectric power plant. And when you get there, you kind of see all the pipes in the background. You don't really see it. It's like the back of Disney World that you don't see. So you have the proper Blue Lagoon, which all the tourists go to, and it's a complete shit show. But then there's (laughs) the kind of private Blue Lagoon, and there's a couple of hotels over there really high end called the Silica, which give you access to this private, kind of very unique Blue Lagoon experience. So first of all, the Silica Hotel, we get in, we check in. It's like three o'clock or four o'clock in the morning and you go out and you sit in their own little private blue lagoon. And I wouldn't say the sun comes up because that's not how the the solar works there. The the sky gets a little bit brighter, but still even by six, seven o'clock in the morning, the sky's like a a light, a darkish light blue. And it's just rejuvenating. You sit out there, it's quiet, the water's warm. And then you start to see the world open up and you're looking out into the landscape. And it's your first time really seeing it. And I remember turning to my wife and I go, we're on Mars. We're literally on the surface yeah. of Mars. It's like this lava rock with moss covering everything and this haze and a mist. And Blue Lagoon was, was absolutely fantastic. It was a very like just chill experience. You get off and it's a great way to start a trip. Relaxed. And then you go to the the, the private spa area and you go through this ceremony process with the, the volcanic mud and there's this whole kind of ritual you go through and you spend time in the Blue Lagoon over there and you have lunch, you have drinks, all that kind of good stuff. Very relaxing, fantastic restaurant there called Moss. It's a Michelin star restaurant in the Silica Hotel. And we got a really good taste of, I mean, I never knew Icelandic food had a reputation for being good. Icelandic lamb, right. if you are a fan of lamb, fantastic. There was great vegetables, <laughs> produce and everything. So we had a great meal. I mean, it was a great way to start the trip. And then the next day we, uh, We had our tour guide, Gumi, pick us up. Gumi was cool. Let me tell you a little bit about Gumi, if you don't mind. Now, we all know that when it comes to uncovering secret gems in a city, town, or country, probably the best advice you can receive is from the locals. Nevertheless, some people would rather explore and figure things out on their own, and that's entirely fine too. However, I can definitely see the value in having a local who knows what they're doing show you around. 
and how this could add to the authenticity of one's travel experience. There's a couple different ways you could do Iceland. If you're super adventurous, you could rent a car. Literally, there's Route 1, there's one road that goes around the whole island. You could do that in about 10 days and take your leisurely yeah. time. Listen, we didn't know what was going on with the weather. I didn't feel 100% comfortable driving. So we put together a tour through a recommended company. So Gumi pulls up the next morning outside of the, outside of the hotel. Let me tell you about this dude. He is a teacher, an adventurer. He's on the rescue, mountain rescue team. He is a hella skier. He's a pilot. He's he's basically like the James Bond meets Bear Grylls type of guy that literally does everything. Fun, knowledgeable. He was like instantly our friend. So he was our private tour guide. And listen, if you could afford it and it wasn't even, that, it didn't even break the bank. You know what I mean? It wasn't like crazy expensive yeah. versus other ways. But he stayed with us for three days. He was literally with us. He stayed in the, in the bed and breakfast we were at too. One of the other things I've really taken a point of doing when I travel is to connect with locals either through friends that I know. Luckily for me, my wife and I and our friends, we have a vast global network of friends. Wherever I go yeah. somewhere, for example, I went to Berlin in summer of 2019 with my, my good friend Andrew, and I reached out to a bunch of my friends to say, hey, listen, we're, we're looking to do like a local walking tour. You know, does anybody do that? And like, yeah, absolutely. So we had a friend of a friend. It was paid, but she literally spent the whole day with us walking around Miti and all these other kind of towns within Berlin. Yeah. And gave us a local, like we went to the Ethiopian district, the restaurants, we tried all the, all the different, like we just wanted to be a local. I always say travel and eat like a local when you travel. There's times when you have to hit the must go to spots here and there, but you know what? If you have an opportunity to experience it, you want to go to places when you travel where you are the only tourist there. Yeah. You don't want to go to a place where it's all tourists when it comes to food. I promise you that you want to go where the locals eat. That's what you do. And that's what we did in Iceland. You could have a great trip and, and, and not and not connect with locals, but I've just never done that. Like I am very extroverted. I make it a point to connect with as many people as I can, talk to talk to locals, shop owners. We don't necessarily have to have, you know, quote unquote friends there. I mean, my wife and I are lucky. A lot of the places we travel to, not counting Iceland, but we have people that we know or people that know people that we know and make it make it a point to connect us. And not everybody has those type of relationships, but if you do, I implore you to take advantage of them. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? You know, you know when we walked around Berlin with our friend's friend, I mean, she, we, we just walked. We walked the neighborhood, right? You're not on a tour bus. You're not on that like double decker tour bus. And you're that person where the locals are looking at you like, gosh, look at that tourist over there, right? You don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to no, be that guy no, or gal, right? You no, want to like, no. you want to experience it. And I, and I think that's, that's really the, the magic of travel is, is the journey and the exploration and the connection. So my friend, what kind of traveler do you see yourself as? One who puts relaxation at the top of their list and places special focus in lying on the beach or casually traversing city streets? Or are you someone who needs to be up at the crack of dawn to climb every mountain, ford every stream, follow every rainbow? So over the course of those three days, we climbed the glacier. Literally, I thought it was just going to yep. be like a little hill. It was a legitimate hike with crampons <laughs> on our feet, ice pick, wow. chances of dying. There was definitely chances of getting very, very hurt on this climb. It was much more strenuous and adventurous than I thought. And it was another great way to kind of get involved with the trip. But you're standing there and you're looking at this glacier and you're learning about the history, how, you know, five years ago, it was even a, more of a mile inland. I mean, we had to hike a mile in just to get to the glacier. But when you climb that glacier and you're on the top of it, you feel accomplished, right? We, it was like a real team building exercise for us. So we, we did the glacier and then we went to this guest house that was absolutely incredible, completely off the grid. 
it turns out that the husband and wife owner, he is a very accomplished Icelandic photographer. So all of his work is in the place. She is a former corporate executive who retired to take up her passion of Icelandic cooking. And every wow. meal was like these beautiful stews and meats that were just and, and roasts and vegetables. Yeah. And you just hang out with them. And there's a couple of other families that were staying there. Beautiful accommodations. We did some amazing things. We, 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 we hiked across the continental divide of Europe and the Americas. We saw that snowmobiled on top of a glacier. We spent two days in Reykjavik, which were incredible. We, we, we did the church. We, we spent time in the town. We went on a culinary tour. We did the, the famous hot dog stand that you got to do. We went on adventures trying to find the Northern Lights, which was, which was fun because we, we couldn't see them due to the air cover. Here's another fun right. fact. The lights are not always in view. It has to be perfect atmospheric conditions with time of year. The stars literally have to align and the weather conditions, which are critical for the particles to have the right reflection of the light. So, and it was cold, it was cold. So I remember going out there in the middle of the night, which is the best time to see it about, about one o'clock in the morning when all the other natural lights are kind of down and we couldn't see anything. We saw like a green haze and you're like, shit, I come to Iceland. I just want to see the Northern Lights. Literally, Jenny, all I wanted to do was see the Northern Lights. So. My brother-in-law is an avid photographer, so he takes out his, his fancy camera and he tries taking a couple shots to see what we see. I'm like, dude, you got to open up the aperture more. We got We just got to let it be open. So he literally, on his tripod, left it open for 30 seconds. Click. We run over to take a look. Through his viewfinder, we see the entire Northern Lights. They were dead ahead of us, yeah. but we just couldn't see it with our naked eyes. So that was a pretty cool experience. And then afterwards, I kind of peel over my left shoulder and I see like a constellation up in the sky. And I'm like, I know what we're looking at. I have that cool app on the phone that shows you, you know, where it's, and it was seriously the entire Milky Way. And then he turned his camera around again, did the same shot. And it was the entire crystal clear Milky Way galaxy in front of us. So it was a, it was a, it was a planetary. I truly believe that however you prefer to do it, travel is one of the purest and most cathartic things one could ever experience. Maybe it's because we're stepping away from the constant stress we feel in our daily lives. Or maybe it's because we're experiencing something completely new and exciting. Whatever our reasons, travel is excellent therapy for mind, body and soul. But what really made that trip different to me and stood out, it was the first time and such a well-needed moment for me to breathe. I was able to to not have stress on top of me. I was able to stand out in the middle of nowhere, not to see another human being aside from my family and just breathe. I mean, gorgeous landscapes, waterfalls. We stood under this giant waterfall with all of our winter gear on underneath it, you know, getting wet and cold and who cares? Cause it was just gorgeous. And I pushed myself to my limit. You know, the, the guide at the waterfall, he's like, if you want to walk back there, you can, nobody does it though. He's like, but if you want to, you can. And I'm like, yeah, I said, I said yes to things. And I think yeah. that's really what it was about. And on top of that, you know, the opportunity to bond even deeper with my wife, it was, listen, we have two little kids. So I, I speak a lot about dating your spouse. You always have to be dating your spouse. And for us, that's your travel. You know, we just yeah. got back from Mexico a few weeks ago by ourselves. You have to keep that flame going because when you're home, it's kids, it's work, it's house. And you really need to do that. I was, you know, three years into, you know, the entrepreneurial journey of owning my own business. You know, the podcast was going. There was a lot of moving parts. And and there's a lot of times, Ginny, in my life, I feel like the circus performer who's balancing the plates, like the spinning plates. And I needed a timeout. I needed I needed a break. I needed something to look forward to. I needed something to take my mind off of things. I shut down all work emails. 
whenever time you want to disconnect and then about boundaries and communication. So what you want to do is, you know, I'm a recruiter, so I have to make sure that I am closing the loop with every client and candidate before I go away to manage their expectations, right? Let's just say I'm leaving on a Saturday and I spend the Thursday and Friday beforehand making sure I'm communicating with all my clients saying, listen, guys, here's what's happening. I'm going away. I'm going to be off the grid. Obviously, if it's any emergency, I will be in touch. It may take me a little bit longer to get back to you, but I am shutting down. I will be in touch. Let's talk. Is there anything urgent? Let's take care of it now. Let's address it. If not, it'll be there when we get back. It is as simple as that. And we plan this trip, you know, perfectly again during Thanksgiving break, but it comes down to managing expectations and over communicating with clients and candidates to make sure that everyone does the same page and everyone respects it. If I ever have a client or candidate that does not respect my boundaries for a vacation, they're not meant to be my client and I will get rid of them. It's happened once before. There was a client that I told I was going away and I managed their expectations and, you know, it just, uh, it wasn't what they wanted to hear, but I told them everything's in good hands. Your project is going along fine. We are in autopilot mode right now. You know, you have to respect everybody needs their time off. And it's hard when you're a solopreneur or a small business owner. It's not like I work for a big company and I'm taking my vacation time. Yeah. You know, so it's a double-edged sword. So as a small business owner, I could literally do whatever I want. I could literally go anywhere in this world at any time and I don't answer to anybody. But on the flip side of that, I need to make sure that I'm delivering to my clients. You have to be able to manage that and not take advantage of it. Think about your traveling experience. Is there something in particular that stands out? A trip that you hold above others? I'm sure we all have a favorite destination in mind. But what made it so? Was it the people, the food, the scenery? Or maybe it was a special time in your life. A birthday trip with friends or perhaps a honeymoon. Would you go back? And if you did, would your experience be the same? What is it about a place that makes us fall in love? So this was summer of 2011, right before our daughter was born. And and I like to say in the most polite way possible that our daughter was infused with Italian love before she came (laughs) into this world. It was a great trip for us. This is the last trip we took before kids. And we made sure to make it an epic adventure. We went for two weeks and we did... The touristy stuff in Rome. We went to Florence. We did Tuscany. We did the Tuscany wine region. We went to the Amalfi Coast. We did all that. And everyone knows what happens over there. But the magic was really this small island called Ischia, which is triangulated between Napoli, Capri, and it's a triangle in the Amalfi Coast in the Mediterranean. And I have a buddy. His name is Jeppo. And I met Jeppo back in early 2000s here in New York. He came to visit. We had mutual friends. We hit it off. And he said, anytime you want, come visit. And I took him up on that offer. And we spent three days with him and his family on this island. Well, first of all, you got to take the ferry from from Naples or Napoli, as the locals call it. And by the way, that is the birthplace of the Napoli pizza that we're all famous with. And there's a pizza place. I always forget the name of it. Literally, literally a block away from the um, from the marina where you get the boat. So the move is you get there a little bit early, you get the pizza, and then you get on the boat. And you get this beautiful, it's not even cut up, it's just like this perfect pizza pie. You can't even imagine how good it tastes. You get to this island, and it's probably like the size of Staten Island, maybe a little little bit smaller if you're familiar familiar with that. And it's very locals only. It's not a touristy place. It's not, I mean, you can, you get to a lot. Some people take a day trip there. They They have beautiful thermal springs, like real thermal springs that are literally built into the side of the mountain that opens up onto the beach into the Mediterranean. We actually did that at the park. It's called Nagumbo. And it's a, it's a beautiful natural thermal spring park. You go from spring to spring. But what made this yeah. trip special was my friend Jeppo, his family, they, they took us into his house, in their guest house. They put us up for a few days. They fed us every meal. 
We sat with them. They really just treated us like family. And then his friends, it's a hospitality. When someone's excited to see you and they use it as an opportunity for themselves to do things in their own town, their own country that they've never done before. So if anybody looks up Ischia, there's this famous castle. You see it. If you literally do Google images, it's a big castle. You take this bridge to get there. It's like a medieval looking thing. And at the top of it is a restaurant. It's not always open. It's kind of like a special reservation only. And my friends that have yeah. lived there and grown up there and born there, they have never dined at the top of this castle in their entire life. Wow. And they made wow. it a point and we had a dinner up there. They set it up and it was just incredible. And it looks over the entire city and to watch, we experienced something with them in their own country, in their own town for the first time with them. And that's what made that magical that we experienced it together. Wow. We just had conversations with all of our similarities just because we live in New York and they live in Italy, but we're all roughly the same age talking about raising families and our ambitions and our hopes and our dreams. I remember that dinner specifically was incredible. And then the next night, one of the guys had come to our house and I'm going to cook you my pizza in, in my backyard. And we sat in that backyard for hours into the night, cooking pizzas, drinking wine, just talking. <laughs> so that really stood out as just, just bonding again, like be with the locals, make friends and do that. So Italy goes down is, is definitely one of our favorite trips for that, for that reason. Adam then went on to discuss another destination that was significantly different from Italy that also stood out to him. Global DJs. It was a relatively short trip. I have friends that are global DJs and they were actually playing at uh, Catablau, which is, <laughs> I, I'm talking about this. The, the club literally opens on Saturday night and it goes till I think Tuesday morning. Like it just stays open. And that's the beauty about Germany. It's pretty cool. So we stayed the first two nights on the east side. It was pretty cool and super industrial, right in the middle of everything. And we made a point because we wanted to be close to where the nightlife was so we could go back and forth and do that. But in that area, it was also some pretty cool, unique bars, a couple of restaurants. So we explored that area. We explored the wall side there. And for me, I've a um, big fan, I'm a fan, but historian with that era, the Berlin Wall was something that always fascinated me as a Pink Floyd fan. When you think about the wall, when you think about what that album's all about, it was something I needed to see. It was on my life bucket list. I needed to see the Berlin Wall. But what really stood out to me on that trip is when we switched over to the other side and we stayed on the other side, we stayed at a hotel closer to City Central. We did the walking tour, self-walking tour of the full length of the Berlin Wall at that time. And the part that really stands out to me is when you're walking in between the wall, they call it the, 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 the dead man zone or the kill zone, in between these parts where there's two walls where if someone climbs over one, good chance back then you're going to get shot. And you're walking through the fields there and you see monuments, you see memorials, you see crosses of where people were shot. Yeah. And you think about it, you look to the right and you see an apartment building and you look to the left of the wall, you see another apartment building. And before the wall was, was put up, this was one city, friends, family, divided instantly. Yeah. But you don't really yeah. realize it until you're standing in between and you could actually visualize it. And I have a photo I took where I'm standing where there was the marking of where the wall was. There's parts where the wall still stands, as you, as you know, and then there's parts where it's kind of down, some of it's original, some of it's like a, a, a kind of interpretation of it all on the line of the wall. But I was standing on a part where they basically have cinder blocks in the middle of the road that designate where, where the wall was. And I put one foot on one side and one foot on the other side and I took a picture of that. And it's just to show you how literal life can be divided. Like literally a wall goes up and you're either on the right side of something or on the wrong side of it. And, and that really stood out to me. We also did the underground tour. We did the subway station underneath and you saw the, you know, the, the, the caverns. We did the, the, the Hitler bunker, whatever you want to call it, too. So we went to a couple of the bunker tours. But I love Berlin. I love the vibe. It's such a 
a thriving cosmopolitan city that also has so much history. And there's a vibe in Berlin. Like there's, there's a very, it's, it reminded me a lot of Brooklyn. It had a lot of a Brooklyn vibe to it. There's a hipster. There's a tremendous art crowd. I mean, the graffiti and the street art is awesome in Berlin. And I loved it there. So when I think about that, I, I did that with my buddy Drew. And, I, and as I was there, I was thinking, I said, you know, what? I want to take my wife back here. I want to experience all this with her. We have a, a trip. I have to be in London July 6th. I'm speaking at a, a conference called RecFest. So I'm thinking of going to London and then taking her over to uh, Berlin for a couple of days afterwards. We have friends that are going to be there during that time. And why not? Isn't it interesting how the presence of certain individuals can either make or break a travel experience? Everyone likes to travel in their own way and bring something different to the table. Sometimes it works, other times not so much. You've already heard how Adam's done a fair bit of travelling with his wife. They say that couples who travel together stay together. Well, I'm not sure if that's an actual saying, but if not, it definitely should be. She is 100 million percent my number one travel buddy. Um, I have two other travel buddies, my good friend Andrew and Chris, who are also my running buddies. We've traveled the world together as well. There's a different experience. For example, I went to Berlin with Andrew. He treated me for my 40th birthday. It was incredible. Two best friends, you know, going to a great city, experiencing all the on the grid, off the grid. In Berlin, you could get into some trouble. You could get into a lot of trouble in Berlin. And we found trouble. We love, I love finding trouble when I travel. I love finding trouble. Yeah. We'll, we'll, leave, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> but the connection I'm able to have with my wife, we are so simpatico when it comes to traveling together. We love to stay at nice, unique hotels. They don't always have to be fancy, but great location, unique. You know, I don't need to stay at the Marriott every single time I go somewhere. That's not what I'm looking for. I love Airbnbs. I love to experience the local of it. And my wife is a great traveler. This is actually kind of a quick little funny story. So when we went to Italy 2011, we literally brought five giant suitcases with us. She had a suitcase for her bags. We were we were traveling around. It, we, we learned our lesson that we were just, this is not the way to travel. We need to do something better. So from that point on, she made it her mission. Let me put it this way. We went to Iceland for five full nights and we're talking winter gear, heavy clothes. Mm -hmm. We did it with a carry-on each. Wow. We did Iceland, and, I, and it's all her. It's all her. She is a ninja Tetris packer. She is the most incredible packer I've ever seen. She fit all of our <laughs> stuff. And, and, we, and we were layering up on planes, you know, an extra jacket with me. You know what I mean? You carried on the plane with you. I had a bigger backpack. And our brother and sister-in-law, they had, like, regular luggage. They had checked luggage, and they were in awe that we were able to do this. Because when you think about wow. what you need there, we're not dressing up. I need one pair of boots that I'm wearing on every single thing. I had one yeah. pair of sneakers that I wore on the plane, right? You think about, you, you, make, you minimize. What do I really need on this trip? And the fact of having that carry-on made life easier because we knew we were staying at three different locations in five days. It wasn't like I was going to one hotel for 10 days and I could take a big bag, I could unpack, I could make myself. I knew I was living out of that suitcase for five days. I wasn't unpacking. So we learned to be better travelers. We learned how to play the airline point game. We learned how to get upgraded. We learned how to use our miles. You learn how to be a better traveler. And she's just the best. Yeah. I mean, listen, we just got back from Mexico and, you know, I've earned my time. I've been enjoying my upgrades. And listen, it's a nice thing to fly business in first class. Let's call it what it is. It's a great upgrade, especially on a long flight. It makes a huge difference, a huge difference because you feel better when you land. You feel better in the air. You've, you're acclimated. And if you could afford to do that, one of the biggest hacks I say to everybody, get a good travel credit card. If you have an affinity to an airline from, for example, mine is Delta. And I use Delta Business, I use Delta for personal, and I rack up a ton of miles quickly, I get status quickly, and I use it to my advantage for my friends, for my family to travel and do it the right way. Consolidate your card, pull it off, 
make it happen. Think back on your first ever trip. Where did you go? Who were you with? How did this shape your future travel adventures? It was Florida. Literally, Florida. <laughs> it was always Florida. It was we've been to Disney a couple of times. Our parents been down. My you know family's down there. That was kind of our family vacations, and it was fine. Listen, both my parents. I mean, my my dad studied art in Italy in the mid to late seventies before I came into mm-hmm. this earth, and my mom has never been to Europe. They retired, we'll call it ten years ago, and they went on a, a kudos to them. They literally just started traveling the world after they retired. My mom did not have a passport until her late sixties. And then they went on adventures. My mom is a huge Beatles fan. They went to London. They went to Liverpool, Abbey Road. Like, they did it. They went all over Europe, Israel. I I mean, like, that's another place, too. I'd love to go to Israel. It's on our list. Got to go to the homeland, the motherland. I'd like to see Egypt. You know what I mean? But going back to that, my parents were just, they were both New York City Board of Ed teachers. And it's just not something we did. We didn't grow up that way. But my kids will grow up that way. They will travel. One last thing. This is great. My daughter, my daughter's turning 10. End of May, Memorial Day weekend here in the States. My Mom said three years ago to my daughter, she goes, I want to take you to Paris for your 10th birthday. And that's what they're doing. They're going Memorial Day weekend. So my wife, my daughter and my mom, the three of them are going to Paris together. And it's going to be an incredible experience. Traveling is eye opening in many ways. We're introduced and exposed to things good and bad that are literally foreign to us. I like to think that those who travel are learning as they go and indulging in their curiosity. Excited to see what new and exciting adventures the destination brings. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Um, South America, I mean, listen, I, we, we went to Thailand. We did Southeast Asia for our honeymoon. So we, we did that. It was an incredible experience. I'd love to get back there mm-hmm. at some point. I would love to go to Japan. I would love to experience Japan the right way, the right way, like proper Japan mm-hmm. and not just Tokyo, but I want to see the countryside. I want to experience that. South America is interesting. Right. It's, it's, it's on my radar, but... For some reason, it's not calling me as much. I don't know why. Uh, I'm just, I mean, it's, it's something I'd like to explore. I'd love to see Africa. I'd love to see po- all different parts of Africa as well there too. I think that would be, that would be super interesting. I've never been to Greece. I'd love to go to Greece yep. and do all that. Yep. There's so much more of Italy that I want to explore. I'd love to do the, 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 the Nords. I'd love to go up to Finland, Sweden, Scandinavia, that whole area too. That's fascinating to me. And there's just so much more of the world and the world's opening up. And I'd love to experience it with my kids as they get older. I never traveled internationally with my parents ever in my entire life. I didn't even go over to Europe until I was 21 years old. So I have a lot of catching up to do. And now I have the means and the ability to do it. And that's what I'm going to do. And the other side of that, this kind of came around during the pandemic too. I had a kind of epiphany that there's, listen, I've been to a decent amount of this country, the United States, but there's so much of this country. I've not seen... I've not seen the heartland, really. I've not been to Yosemite, Yellowstone, the national parks. So that's what we're planning to do as the kids get older is see this country that we're living in and explore it. I've never been to the Pacific Northwest. I want to do Seattle, Vancouver and do that whole corridor with the kids. And we have friends up there. I want to do Alaska. I want to do maybe a, we've never been on a cruise ever. I'm kind of anti-cruise. I don't like the idea of being trapped on a, on a boat and someone telling me what I need to do, when I need to eat. I just don't like that. But Something like Alaska or like the Nile, I would do a cruise. I would do like a Nile cruise. You know what I mean? Like something kind of quirky and cool. But I'm not doing a freaking Caribbean five days to the Bahamas. You're not going (laughs) to find me on that. Travel as light as possible. Find a great travel credit card where you get the most points on your infinity. For me, that's my Delta card. Choose whatever airline you like. 
whatever you yeah. get the most value from, rack up those points, but be disciplined that you pay off your card every single month. Otherwise that could really add up. Play the points game, play the affinity game. And here's another thing, when you check into hotels, whenever I'm with my wife, I always say it's our anniversary and we try to get an upgrade. <laughs> always. Does it that works. work? I'm, it works. I'm, <laughs> hey, oh, we're so happy to check into your hotel. Are you guys here for any special reason? Oh, well, you, funny you ask, we're celebrating our anniversary. <laughs> is, there, is there a suite or something? It's worked a few times. It does. <laughs> Even though some of us may prefer otherwise, we have lives and responsibilities outside of travel. I asked Adam about what that looks like for him and how he manages his time effectively. It's all around my kids, right? It's making sure that they're out the door. My daughter's ready for school. My son, if he's going to school that day, is fine. He's taking care of. Luckily for us, we have childcare, getting them mm -hmm. sorted. But my, my morning routine really focuses around one thing when I get into my office and I'm going into work, work mode. And I repeat this every single day. And it's a mantra that was bestowed to me by my recruitment mentor, a gentleman by the name of Tom Hall. And it's plan your work and work your plan. And you could say it any way you want. You could work your plan and plan your work. You could plan your work and work your plan. It works both different ways. And what that means is very tactically, when I start my day, I am focused. I know what I have to do. And for me, that is literally writing things down on a list. Do whatever works for you. Use it in your notes sections, whatever it is. And I know the things that I need to get accomplished that day tactically to keep the train moving in the right direction. Now, there's some days I will cross off every single thing on that list. I'll crumple the paper, I'll throw it away, and I'm good to go. There's other days when I get sidetracked, life happens, and I may cross one thing off. I may cross nothing off, but the next day, that list will still be in front of me, and it'll keep me focused on what I need to do. So plan your work, work your plan. I'm also a big believer in time management. Be a student of your calendar. Block off time to do work. Manage your inbox and manage your time accordingly. And that's how I manage my day, my morning, and my productivity. Blocking and tackling, 100%. Yeah. I will uh, turn my phone over. I will put on dis on, on disturb mode. If I need to get into flow state and, and do real, real work, sometimes we have to do work. Another kind of little tip that I've been doing lately is utilizing my Gmail calendar and my Gmail email by using send later. Like if I, if yeah. I don't want to, I'll, I'll send something later. Like I'll reply, like someone just wrote back to me, like, Hey, do me a favor, check in on me on two months. Right afterwards, I wrote that email and I scheduled it to send in two months. So I don't forget about it. Hey Mike, following up, boom, it's already set and forget it. That's number one thing. And also usually the unread function, because a lot of times you'll read a, an email on your phone and it'll mark it as read and you forget about it. So what I do in the morning, first thing is I go back from emails from the night before the morning and I mark them as unread and I'll go one by one when I'm in the email follow-up mode. And that's just a very tactical thing that I do. It works. This has been fun. I have, I have not had a, an, a podcast where I've talked about this. It's always business and entrepreneurship. So I like to mix it up and I'm thrilled yeah. to have this conversation. And I, and I tremendously value you as a, as a connection, as a friend here. Thank you so much. Well, that's all for today, folks. Thank you for taking this trip with Adam and I. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I have. Until next time.